Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Well, once again, good morning. It's good to see you all. Good to have you here. As I mentioned uh, in the welcome, our mission here at Bethany is to be people who are seeking to know God, to follow Jesus, and to serve our neighbors. And as we seek to follow Jesus, we want to become more like him. We want to grow up in our faith. And last week, we began to dig into Scripture, into God's Word, to discover, well, how might we do that? How might we develop, grow, mature as disciples of Jesus? And we actually discovered that a big part of what it means to grow up into Christ is somehow to become more childlike. And that might seem a bit counterintuitive because we want to take our faith seriously. We want to be responsible. We want to grow up and become more mature. We want to be further along than we were a year ago. And I think that's a desire that God has planted in our hearts But if we think about becoming more adult in our faith, we need to remember that in the Gospels, we see that Jesus, time and time again, gathered people around him and pointed to a child, pointed to children, and said, that's what kingdom living looks like. That's what God-pleasing faith looks like. In Luke 18, we read that people were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Jesus rebuked these rebuking disciples and said to them, Okay, if you think that you should be keeping away these kids from me, you've got things backwards. You've got things all wrong. Why in the world would would I not want to welcome and receive children, place my hands on them, and bless little babies? Jesus told his disciples that these parents who were squeezing through the crowd just to have an opportunity for Jesus to place his hand in an act of blessing, they had it right. They understood what was going on. Children gravitated toward Jesus. They were meant to be in his presence. They belonged there. And Jesus said that children actually lead the way in helping us understand what it means to receive the kingdom the way it's meant to be received. Jesus says that children can become, should become, our role models. And so what does that mean, to look to children as as a role model for faith? What does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? Why does Jesus want his followers to be childlike? Does it mean he wants us to pout and stamp our feet? Or is there something else going on? What is it about us that he actually desires deeply to become more and more childlike? Last week I mentioned a book I've really been appreciating lately, that addresses questions just like these. Pastor Mandy Smith wrote her book, Unfettered, after coming to grips with the fact that Jesus loves her first and foremost as a parent loves a child. 
And in this book, Smith describes a childlike faith that's stripped free of trappings that we may have placed on it through our misunderstanding of what it means to be mature, to be grown up, to be responsible. Smith points out two distinctly childlike tendencies that I think can help us get to the heart of why childlike disciples are the followers Jesus is looking for. Smith suggests that children identify and engage as whole selves. They engage as thinking, feeling, sensing, embodied, relational beings. And then second, children know how to engage without taking on full responsibility. So in other words, children tend to be pretty bad at compartmentalizing. They're kind of all in. Their, their feelings, their senses, their experiences are all one big stew. They haven't developed that limiting habit of compartmentalization, haven't developed that skill. They bring all the elements of their personhood to whatever's going on. All their senses interact and overlap. But on the other hand, children tend not to let the things around them bleed too deeply into their personhood. Unconsciously, they have these boundaries that prevent them from getting too tangled up emotionally or personally in things outside themselves, a skill maybe we have forgotten over time. Mandy Smith points to the true depth and power of childlikeness. She says, becoming like children is not regression. To be like children is to be human again, awake to the whole experience of dwelling in bodies and in the world, unsurprised that we are incomplete, and attuned to our need for something beyond ourselves. Let me read that again. Becoming like children is not regression. It's to be human again, awake to the whole experience of dwelling in bodies and in the world, unsurprised that we're not enough, that we're incomplete, and attuned to our need for something beyond ourselves. And so when we recognize these truths about children, we see that Jesus is looking for followers who are all in, who are decompartmentalized, who bring all that we are to our experience with God, a relationship to him and to the world, but who know that life and faith are not all about us. We have our limits. Last week, we saw that Jesus invited people to come, to follow him, to rest from their worries and burdens. Jesus invited people to rest, to rest as a reprieve, but also as a pattern of living. Jesus beckoned people to the off-ramp from the rat race of life that was weighing people down with burdens that were never intended for them. Jesus invited people to the kind of free and light living that their creator God designed for them. And we know that children can rest well because they are usually less likely than grown-ups to be tormented by concerns and worries about things that aren't their responsibility or that they can't control anyway. Children recognize that others are in charge. They expect people who love them to take care of them. And so we see that in this way, children are naturally primed to relate to God as who God is. 
and how God relates to them as a loving parent. Jesus invites us to rest in the reality that God is God and we are not. And then in that place of rest, we can receive from God what God intends to give us. And the more childlike we are in our faith, the less filtered, the less managed we are as we receive from God the things he gives us. Because children tend not to have the filters that we have adulted into over time. They don't filter everything through their brains. They receive things. They're willing to feel them and sense them for what they are without transforming all those feelings and experiences into rational, articulate thoughts and conclusions. I love this example that Mandy Smith gives in her book. She says, a child might not be likely to say, I'm anxious because this is the first day of school. A child might likely, more likely be able to say, I've got a tickly feeling in my belly. Children observe and note things. They name their feelings. As adults, I think we're much more likely to process things, to translate the things we're feeling and experiencing. We want to get to a place where we can reach conclusions, render judgments, or at least have some kind of hypothesis to explain what's going on in us and around us. But to have faith like a child is not to have all the answers, not to reach all the conclusions, but to be willing and able to name all the feels. Since God is God and we are not, there are going to be things in our life that just don't make sense to us, things about which we are not likely to be able to reach a rational conclusion. We recognize that those things somehow still make sense to God. And so we still receive those things as we're meant to. And with childlike faith, we can name all the ways those things make us feel. We can name all the questions that those things leave us hanging with and pondering. We can name the feelings in our bodies, in our guts, in our backs, in our feet, in our brains. And we can ask a lot of questions. We know that's something kids like to do. Favorite one-word question of a child, of course, is why? And sometimes when a child asks why, it's because they're demanding an explanation, like some justification from us. Well, why does it have to be this way? But very often, a child just wants to learn. Why? Tell me more. Help me learn. Asking why helps children make connections between those thoughts that are bouncing around in their heads. It can sometimes bring understanding to their feelings that they're able to name but not always. Sometimes a child's why comes from just a hunger for learning. And sometimes children don't get answers to their whys. And so sometimes our whys go unanswered and we're left with our feelings about that silence. If you're familiar with Job in the Old Testament, you know that he's presented to us as, as kind of the paragon of suffering amidst unanswered whys. And we see from him what it looks like, perhaps, to receive life circumstances 
without necessarily having, having to run everything through an intellectual ringer. When Job suffered tremendous personal loss and his wife suggested he just give up on God, he might as well just curse God and die, she said. Job replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Now it's obvious from other passages in Job that that Job was more than willing to make it crystal clear to anybody who was willing to listen how he felt about what was going on. He was not a happy man in the midst of this ordeal. But Job sought to stay close to God through it all. He didn't try to ignore the pain or deflect the pain. Instead, he brought all that he was experiencing, all that he was receiving back to God. And God proved much more trustworthy than his wife or his so-called friends. We can grow in our childlikeness in how we receive things in our life and from God. And we can grow in childlike faith in how we approach God's word as well. Again, if we come to the Bible trying to receive things top-down, kind of brain first, intellect first, we'll probably miss out on some of the gifts God's word seeks to bring us that only come through the way of childlikeness. To receive the, God, the word of God like a child is not simply to be informed, to be educated. To receive the word of God like a child is to be spoken to, to hear the word of a loving parent spoken to a beloved child. You think about us as adults reading uh, instruction manuals to a bread maker or a lawnmower. It's a different kind of reading than reading a love letter. We approach those texts differently. And you think about how a child might, might lean in and listen carefully to a letter from a grandparent being read to him or her, or a beloved story being read at bedtime. We know that the Bible is made up of a lot of different kinds of, of writing. There's history, there's poetry, there's instruction, there's prophecy, there are other kinds of writing. But in our desire to bring mature thinking to our reading, to bring that kind of grown-up intensity to our study of scriptures, sometimes we lead with our brains and then just stay there. We camp out there. We want to understand and dissect God's word as we try to process everything analytically. In our good intentions, we want to come to God's word and learn what we're supposed to learn without pausing to recognize that the Bible, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, is alive, it's active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's really powerful imagery. It's almost, you can almost feel the pain in that as God's word does its deep work in us. God's word is meant to shape us, even sometimes to cut or pare us, to prune us. Roger Furlow, in his book, Sensing God, Reading Scripture with All Our Senses, writes that we tend to read Scripture for the facts, to know what happened, and for the rules, to know what we're supposed to do. But to read Scripture for information only is to risk missing the sense of it. 
sense not only as its cognitive meaning, but the sense that's meant to be felt, to be touched, to be experienced. And so I want to invite you to try something this week if it's not already part of your pattern. As you spend time, and I'd recommend particularly the Psalms or maybe the, the Gospel of John, to read slowly. Read as free from distractions or hurry as possible. And then before you consider what the passage means, before you jump in with your brain, ask these questions. How does this passage make me feel? And where in my body am I feeling this? How would you name that? And then what can I receive from this passage before I jump to a lesson or a meaning? What do I receive? What does God have for me in his word today? Is it simply a word? Is it a phrase? Is there one line that seems to be a particular gift from God? Is there something in this passage that comes alive? Is there a picture that comes to mind, maybe seemingly having nothing to do with what I've just read? And then what might God intend for me? What is he asking me to receive in response to his word? Does he want to give me something to believe or to trust more deeply? Is there some guidance or truth that I might receive? Is there an invitation that God's asking me to open and respond to? And then how do I feel as I conclude my time with God's word? Because we can come to scripture with open hands, with an open heart, just as importantly as we come to God's word with open minds, seeking to learn. We think about coming with, with minds that want to be filled with the truth of scripture, but we also have souls that long to meet God in his word to us, longing to receive from the giver of every good gift, the life that is truly life. Because we're meant to be receivers. It's not a selfish thought to recognize we're on the narrow end of the funnel when it comes to God and Jesus. We are meant to receive, to receive, to receive. Jesus makes this unmistakably clear in a powerful metaphor he shares with his disciples in John chapter 15, where he says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it might be even more fruitful. You are already clean or pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So I want you to picture for a moment, think about that relationship between a grapevine and the clusters of grapes that hang from it. The vine gives the branches receive. It's kind of a one-way path. Good things flow from the vine into the clusters. Nourishment, energy, the power to grow flow from the vine into those clusters of grapes. 
Grapevine isn't dependent on those clusters, but everything, everything for life depends on those clusters clinging to the vine. And that's the image Jesus uses for our relationship to him. We're meant to stick that closely. We're meant to recognize that we simply receive from Christ everything we need. And that the moment we become disconnected, we will begin to dry up, to shrivel up, to die. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is telling us we can't receive from something that we're not connected to. If we don't abide in Christ, remain in him, stick close to him, we can't receive those things he longs to give us. When I think about receiving a gift in a childlike way, I imagine uh, a six-year-old kid getting a puppy. And I think about the kinds of things that that kid would, <clears throat> would think and say um, and you can imagine them too. A puppy, I can't believe it. Thank you, thank you. I love the puppy, I love you. This is the best day of my life. Six-year-olds get it. When we become more adultish, our response to gifts is a little different sometimes. Wow, that looks like a lot of work. <laughs> wow, that's a big responsibility. What, what if something happens to him? And I'm not sure this is really the breed for me. It's helpful to have more de developed brains, but Jesus is pointing us back to something that won't be regression. If we receive gifts from him more with childlike hearts and souls, we will find ourselves with open arms, ready to embrace the gifts God gives us, to say thank you, thank you, to receive it with abandon, to embrace it as a gift we know comes from the giver of every good gift, a father who loves us and knows us. And so my prayer for us is that that would be how we are people who receive, who receive those gifts, gifts that God longs to give us that are actually even better than a warm, wriggly little puppy. May we be those kind of children of God. I invite you to join me in prayer. Father of good gifts, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for those gifts that you lavish on us, sometimes simply because you delight in us. Help us to receive gifts with childlike joy, with delight, with hearts that grow bigger and somehow younger. <clears throat> Jesus, thank you that you were the vine who can be trusted never to run dry, never to be drained no matter how much you pour into us. Holy Spirit, would you work in those parts of us that have adulted into hardness, that make it difficult for us to receive the Father's gifts as he intends. We ask all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.